from the CSI Today News Desk at the College of Staten Island. Welcome to the CSI Today Talks Podcast with your hosts, David Pizzuto and Terry Manns. The CSI Today Talks Podcast is your connection to the College of Staten Island with the newsmakers that make it happen. From world-renowned faculty and staff, dynamic students, and community leaders, stay connected to CSI with CSI Today Talks. And now, here is your host, David Pizzuto. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to the CSI Today Talks podcast right here on CSIToday.com and from wherever you are listening to your favorite podcast. I am your co-host, David Pizzuto, welcoming you in to Season 1, Episode 7 of our podcast as we debut our show on Monday, March 14th of 2022. Whatever day of the week you are tuning in, whatever time of day, uh, whatever place you're at, if it's at your, if it's in your car, if it's at the office, uh, if it's at your personal PC, laptop, cell phone, wherever it is, we're so grateful that you're here catching up with the newsmakers that make the College of Staten Island the outstanding place that it is. This week's show, we have a fantastic guest. The uh, Reverend Dr. Kathleen M. Comiskey is going to join me uh, on the podcast in just a few short moments. We're so happy to have Professor Comiskey joining us to talk about all the things that she is involved in at the College of Staten Island campus, which includes the campus of St. George and also the PIT program, which is the Public Interest Technology Program, something brand new at the college that Katie is extremely excited about and that we're excited to talk to her about. So I uh, can't wait to catch up with her in just a few short moments. But before that, want to go through some housekeeping as we always do here on the podcast. Uh, we will drop episodes every Monday uh, throughout this semester. And of course, we hope that you will subscribe to our podcast, whether it's on CSIToday.com and the subscription button that's located on the right-hand toolbar or from wherever you are catching this podcast, please be sure to subscribe so you can get notified when the latest episodes drop. And of course, you can visit us on Anchor FM uh, and from wherever you listen to your favorite podcast uh, with archived footage and and archived shows uh, that we have for you. I was so happy to hear uh, last week's episode via archive uh, conducted by our co-host Terry Mayers. He interviewed Verrazano School's Cheryl Craddock, and I thought it was a tremendous conversation. Learned so much about the Verrazano School, learned so much about Cheryl and some of the great work that they are doing there. So um, tremendous stuff from Terry and Cheryl last week, and Terry will be back next week with another very exciting conversation with Anita Romano comes up uh, next week from the Macaulay Honors College. So lots of great conversations that we are having. It's a big treat for us, and like I said, my guest this week is the Reverend Dr. Kathleen M. Comiskey. I hope that she'll allow me to call her Katie for the purposes of this interview. That's how we go back and forth. Katie joins us now. Uh, Katie, how are you? I'm great. How are you today? Doing really well. Uh, thank you for being here with us uh, for what I know will be uh, a long overdue podcast. I know we've been trying to connect for some time. Um, we've been meaning to do this for a while. Our schedules have been crazy. So let me start by asking by asking how the semester so far has been treating you. Um, it's been quite intense. Um, you know, we're really excited. Um, I spend most of my time at 
CSI St. George. I'm teaching in person. Um, I actually taught in person last semester, but I'm teaching in person this semester as well. And we're really excited to see more and more students face to face, um, but, you know, really trying to figure out how do we now negotiate our hybrid life of being virtual and in person at the same time um, is still is still <laughs> something that I'm trying to learn how to adjust best to. But um, um, you know, really excited to kind of be back and fully engaged with our students and and our staff too. Yeah, great. And you know, obviously, I want to speak a lot about St. George and your work there. Are you are you working on both campuses? Or are you kind of dedicated right now at St. George? Well, I'm a you know, a full faculty member of the psychology department, which is housed at the Willowbrook um, campus. Mm -hmm. But I teach and spend most of my time uh, right now at the um, CSI St. George campus. Gotcha. Gotcha. (laughs) Okay, great. Well, I know you're you're juggling a lot and I want to cover a lot of that with you. There are many avenues we can go and, and explore. But let's start off really with the roots of, of the Reverend Doctor and Professor Kathleen Comiskey. Can you tell us a little bit about your, your background growing up, uh, pursuing academia, and ultimately what got you here at the College of Staten Island? Yes. Um, I'd like to say that I'm a proud product of the public education system. Um, I grew up in a working class town that's essentially right over, you could either take the Bayonne Bridge or the Gothels Bridge from mm-hmm. Staten Island uh, to act, to get gain access to it. It's called Kearney, New Jersey, which mm-hmm. is near North New Jersey. Um, I'm a first gen uh, college goer proudly and um, really didn't know what college was uh, until really close to graduating high school. I was on a um, you know, college prep track, even though, like, I didn't really know that college was my destiny, yeah. uh, because I was, you know, pretty strong in math and sciences. And then um, my guidance counselor towards the end of my junior year was like, Oh, where are you? Where are you planning to go to college? And I was like, college, what is that? <laughs> and so it took a lot of um, motivation on the part of my parents, uh, and also the supportive staff that I had at my high school to kind of really help me figure out where it might be best for me to go for my undergraduate degree. So I stayed in New Jersey. I, I attended um, Rutgers University, uh, which is the state university of New, New Jersey. I went to Douglas College, which at the okay. time was yeah. the women's, women's college, college of yeah. Yeah, Rutgers. And so even though our classes were co-ed, our dorming and our student organizations were all women. And mm-hmm. so while at Douglas, I got to um, be able to be in leadership positions there and student um, uh, organizations and in, um, you know, different peer support networks. And, you know, I think I got an opportunities, uh, to do leadership at Douglas that I wouldn't have gotten if I was going to another more co-ed, um, um, institution at Rutgers. And I really think that that really set my path, um, in terms of really being able to see myself as having quite degree of independence, uh, and you know, being able to really think of myself as cultivating some kind of career, um, I was—I started out as a biochemistry major, not really knowing that I w- what biochemistry was. Mm. Um, and once I started taking those uh, introductory science courses and math courses, I could do them, but I wasn't loving—I wasn't loving calculus too in the way <laughs> that my my other classmates were. 
And so it made me start to think, oh, wait, maybe this isn't like they were really passionate about it. And I was like, no, let's just let me just memorize the formula and get out mm -hmm. of here. Right. Mm -hmm. And I started to then not do as well in those classes as I was hoping to. And it made me nervous, like, oh, maybe college isn't for me. And again, not knowing anything about college. And I went back to my dorm room after like being really nervous about an exam that I had taken. And um, one of my dorm mates was like, what, what's the matter? What's going on? And I was like, I don't know. I think I'm going to fail. I'm going to fail out. I'm going to have to move back home. I'm going to drop out of college. And she was like, what are you talking about? Just change your major. Hmm. And I was like, change my major. She's like, yeah, I changed my major like four times already. And it was like, <laughs> literally like the clouds opened up, the sun started shining. And I was like, I can change my major, you know? And, 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 you know, I think I take this with me into the work that I do at CSI, because I think a lot of times, especially since so much of what we do in, in you know, our lower grades are kind of predetermined for us. We mm -hmm. kind of just have to follow along a particular path a lot of times in, you know, K through 12. Once you get to college, I don't think it's like, you don't really have an understanding that you have choices and you can really pursue where your talents are, where your passions are and what you want to cultivate in yourself and maybe what could then later, you know, benefit the larger communities that you're a part of or the world or society. And, you know, just feeling like I had a choice and that I can make that choice for myself was like so empowering and um, started taking a bunch of my gen ed credits, was really interested, got really interested in psychology and in women's studies. And so I ended up graduating with honors in psych and women's studies. And again, a similar thing, had no idea about graduate school. And I was working in the lab of one of my professors and he was like, so where are you going to go to grad school? And I was like, grad school, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> And so he really encouraged me and supported me in like preparing my applications for grad school. And um, I found out about the CUNY Graduate Center and um, that, that there was a PhD program in social personality psychology there that had faculty that I really was interested in and had been using their work in some of my undergraduate research. And so I applied to the CUNY Grad Center and was accepted and pursued my PhD in social personality um, psychology at CUNY. Um, and while I was there, I was selected to be in the first cohort of the CUNY, CUNY Writing Fellows program. Mm -hmm. And that was an opportunity for grad students to earn some money and get their tuition paid for. And I got a call from the College of Staten Island asking mm -hmm. me if I would like to be a writing fellow there. And I said, what is the College of Staten <laughs> Island? And where is it? Because I had been... Um, I lived in all different boroughs, but I was, I think I had moved back to New Jersey at that point. And so I was like, literally like driving through Staten Island to get to Jersey. And that was, I had never like gotten off the expressway <laughs> before. Mm. Um, but it was, you know, you know, I, so I started out as a writing fellow and I got to work with amazing faculty, um, namely like Judith Coppersmith for at first and mm. then P Peter Hegarty and really learned how to be an effective instructor in the classroom and again had no idea that academia was going to be my path um, i really thought i was going to work in the nonprofit world um, doing research but i ended up thinking that i have again more flexibility and more choices by working in academia and um and so then i was hired as an adjunct faculty sub lecturer then applied for the tenure track position and i was hired and now I've been here 
at CSI for over 20 years. Wow. Wow. What a great story. And that, that's mm-hmm. always one of my favorite, uh, you know, questions to ask is just to really see the roadmap that that folks and, and, you know, how they get to the College of Staten Island. It's always a very unique story. And it's it's usually 95 times out of 100, you know, not quite predetermined, right? I mean, everybody kind no. of finds their way along the way. And I was even going to ask you, like, at what point did getting in front of the classroom instead of being a part of it as a student really register with you when that when that flip of the switch actually turned for you? But I suppose it was here at the College of Staten Island as part of that, as part of that fellowship. It did, and, and it was it was really interesting because it was very. I had a very odd experience, David. Like, I, for some reason, I, unexpectedly, I started to really resonate with the students at CSI, and I really wasn't sure why, mm-hmm. you know. And and it was, you know, like I, I really really loved working with the students, and I had, um, you know, worked with a really diverse range of students, or like adult returning students to like you know, students that were working students to, you know, like just out of high school students and like that diverse range of students were really working, was really exciting to me. And then, and then I realized that a lot of the students were also first generation college goers. And I realized like, oh, wow, I'm relating to them because, you know, I, I share a similar educational history and pathway into college as they did. And I kind of want to like share with them, like, the you know tricks of the trade kind of thing mm-hmm. like you can do this and so like a lot of my I'm very open with my students about my story I'm, I'm guessing like if there's former students listening um you've probably heard my story a little bit mm-hmm. before because I'm very open with sharing my story because I think um that it's really important that that every every potential student sees that access to a higher education should be a right and not a privilege. And my role and my goal in my life is to open as many doors as possible um, to any student who sees college as their pathway to fulfilling all of their hopes and dreams and aspirations. Yeah, that's, that's really terrific and very well said. And, you know, Katie, part of that story is that uh, you're also a member of campus who's who's also a clergy member, right? Can you tell me a little more about the role of faith in your life that led you to being a reverend and how that role perhaps dovetails with your work as a professor in the classroom? Sure. Um, in uh, 2011, I, I was on sabbatical, and as part of what I decided I was going to do um, during my sabbatical, in addition to my research and writing was to fulfill a personal goal that I had, um, which was a promise to a dear friend who I lost due to complications related to HIV and AIDS. Mm. And, you know, I cared for him um, through the last days of his life. And he introduced me to uh, Tibetan Buddhism. And I was raised um, a pretty conservative Irish in a conservative Irish Catholic household. And so I was, but I was, and my grandmother was a charismatic Catholic. And so like, I was really interested, like I was really interested in the more mystical and spiritual sides of faith and relationship to the divine. But because I'm, um, you know, also came to understand myself to be a lesbian, you know, I was locked out of, of my faith traditions. Like I was not accepted in the church and at that point, I felt like then I didn't have a right to a relationship with God. Um, and my friend, Brian, who um, 
you know, showed me Tibetan Buddhism and different pathways into spirituality um, helped me reconnect with, you know, a greater sense in my spirituality and really helped me to understand that no person has the right to tell you that you don't have a right <laughs> to have a relationship with God. And I was also at that point teaching about death and dying also at the college. Um, and I've done that at the undergraduate and graduate level. And a lot of times when people are facing death or grieving a loss, the loss of a loved one, you know, questions of faith come into play, like, yeah. you know, especially around um, rituals and traditions related to death and also just the questions of like, you know, what happens after death. And so I wanted to know more about different um, paths, uh, spiritual paths. And so I went to um, an interfaith ministry, ministry, which was, I'm sorry, interfaith uh, seminary, which was an offshoot of the new seminary uh, in, in Manhattan. And I joined their accelerated course. So I took a two year course in one year um, mm. and became an, an ordained interfaith minister wow. um, with the intention of really wanting to do more work in grief, loss and dying and hopefully becoming what's called a death doula, which sounds a little little ominous but it's you know somebody who companions people into death like a spiritual advisor into death and mm -hmm. so um but what was really interesting was you know of course like i had this plan that this was what i was gonna i was just doing it for learning purposes just to learn about faith and to maybe serve in this role um but because i'm you know like i was saying a member of the lgbtqia plus community as soon as i you know, I took really, you know, responsibility for my title as a reverend, like I wanted to use my title as reverend doctor, because I wanted to be an out lesbian who also was a person of faith, because there's so many times where those two things don't seem to go together very right. well. And at the college and in other areas that, you know, groups that I've talked to and worked with, um, a lot of times they want to talk to me about, well, what do you think? Like, am I going to hell? Is this a sin? Like, is it like, am I, you know, can, can I still consider myself faithful? Like, you know, what's my relationship to God? And of course I'm not telling anybody anything about that, but I want there, I want to, I'm always open to being mm -hmm. someone who can help people. And that's what I'm most fascinated with, like helping people explore their spiritual paths. Um, and so I've, officiated weddings mm -hmm. um both uh of all kinds um <laughs> and all kinds of you know relationships and things and uh which was unexpected so i'm a registered wedding officiant uh in the city of new york um and and then you know after uh the death of eric garner i started to become more involved with uh local community organizing around healing and um, improving the relations between the police and community and really under, you know, trying to understand, um, you know, how do we better our justice system? But, and through that work, I've met incredible faith leaders on Staten Island that I call friends who have a commitment to social justice. And so, you know, I just feel like it's been such a gift to be able to 
connect to my local community, my college community, my LGBTQI community, and a lot of different communities that I feel honored to be a part of. And it's all happened through my role as being an interfaith minister. But I don't have a church. I don't have a ministry. I just see my work as my vocation. So, and I don't proselytize. I don't like, for me, I say that when people ask me, what do I like, who who am I as an interfaith minister? I say, I, I embrace all paths including the path of the non-believer, because I have a deep respect for everybody's approach to these huge questions that have, you know, plagued humanity since the dawn of time. And as a scientist and a curious person, like I'm open to all perspectives. So I'm not interested in us having any one answer to any of these challenging Mm -hmm. questions, but I think it's really important for me to integrate a sense of their, of a, you know, connection to something beyond, you know, what, what we have to deal with in our everyday life. Sure. sure. Yeah. No, for what it's worth, I'm, I'm glad I asked the question. It's really, really fascinating <laughs> to learn that about you. Thank you for sharing, uh, for sharing mm-hmm. that, you know, Katie, as you mentioned, you're also a member of the psychology department, uh, women's gender and sexuality studies program at CSI. And, um, I know that one of your other passions that sits side by side with your work in the classroom is your work in, in mobile communication studies, where you mm-hmm. aren't just a, a CSI or a regional, but really a worldwide expert in the, in the subject. You wrote a book on the topic. Can you tell us a little bit about this incredible avenue of research and the work you've done there as well? Yes, thank you. So uh, for the last 20 years, uh, I've conducted research because it was emerging out of my dissertation research, um, where I've I'm really looking at this intersection between mobile phones, but now we call it mobile media because mm. phones are not just phones anymore. Right. Um, and like the interaction between how mobile phones are impacting our social relationships and the perceptions of our social environments. And now when I say that in mixed audiences these days, people are like, oh yeah, that makes sense. I've had to, I've had to fight for 20 years to get people <laughs> to understand why it's important to focus on it. Mm-hmm. And now I feel like, pretty vindicated in mm-hmm. the fact that you can't really talk about life without talking about the roles that um, mobile commu- mobile technology um, plays in impacting our relationships and um, impacting, you know, the world and geopolitical, um, you know, things that are happening. And so, so, so I've worked with a bunch of international scholars to establish this brand new field, like for the last 20 years called mobile communication studies. And as you mentioned, like I'm kind of known internationally for this work. I was recently recognized in a journal in Australia for my work on the role that mobile phones play and how how women um, perceive public safety. Um, and I published a book in 2017 with Oxford University Press and a, a colleague, Lursa Hjorth, from Australia, from Melbourne, um, on the ways in which people use mobile media to deal with grief and loss and the book is called Haunting Hands. Um, and since then, I've published work on the role that mobile phones uh, play in mass casualty and mass shooting events. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was like fun stuff, right? But as it relates to situational awareness, and so sometimes I've, I've been sort of consulted with by law enforcement and other people who are interested in improving public safety just around um, the work that I've done, which sort of talks about how sometimes mobile phones can distract us from paying attention to what's really happening around us and, and make us less prepared for dealing with um, crisis situations. And it was, that work has been 
taxing on me in a lot of different ways. And so I was kind of looking for a new avenue for what my work can do. And so I'm now transitioned into participating in building a new, new interdisciplinary Mm -hmm. field uh, (laughs) called public interest technology. And what we're doing there is looking at the roles that we can, how we can intentionally build tech for good um, and to advance the social and public good. Yeah, certainly, and and definitely, public interest technology is something that I want to I want to cover. Uh, but we mentioned this, you know, one of the reasons why why we hooked up and we started talking is centered on your presence and your your work at CSI St. George and the public interest mm-hmm. technology program or PIT program. Before we even get to PIT, we should mention that St. George, of course, was a CSI campus at one time and was reintroduced as a satellite campus in 2017 again. For those that maybe aren't familiar with the North Shore location or the history of St. George and how it currently works, can you tell us a little bit about the reintroduction of St. George, how it is set up to work currently and your involvement within it? Sure. So um, as you said, we've sort of returned mm-hmm. to 120 Stuyvesant Place, um, which you know served as um, you know, part of the College of Staten Island in our previous iteration before we mm-hmm. became, um, you know, before we occupied the Willowbrook campus. Um, and uh, 120 Stuyvesant is right across the street from Staten Island Borough Hall, and it's right up the hill from the Staten Island Ferry. And for me, it, it feels like prime real estate in terms of having providing more and more students with ready access to the College of Staten Island um, and the resources that we have to offer. Um, We know that our public transit transportation system on Staten Island is quite challenged. And so for Mm -hmm. students who rely on public transportation, especially those on the north and east shores of Staten Island and those who um, come to study with us from the outer boroughs like lower Brooklyn, Manhattan, the Bronx and Queens, um, being able to just get off the ferry across the street and be in the classroom and take your, with some of your classes just seemed like an incredible opportunity for us as an institution. And so we've been working hard um, at the site to, um, you know, under the leadership of, of, um, of um, AVP Barrero and AVP Scott um, and the important work that um, Mario Villasandro and it, the one-stop shop crew that's right now being mm-hmm. led by Crystal uh, Villasaran um, at St. George, like we, we're really trying to build capacity at this site uh, to really help our college access a student, a bunch of students that would seek to benefit from all that CSI has to offer and, you know, provide opportunities for them to get that uh, literally sometimes in their backyards, right? Mm -hmm. So I often, when I'm talking to students about the potential of them taking classes at St. George, I'm like, you know, if you know you have to be at class at eight o'clock, wouldn't you want to just walk down the street and Mm -hmm. get to class on time versus having to take two buses or, you know, Mm -hmm. um, figure out how to get a ride over to the main campus? So, Accessibility is one of the main, you know, reasons for us to, uh, you know, sort of revisit being um, there. But we also want to capture the vibrancy of the North Shore and, you know, the the proxi- the close closeness and the proximity to a lot of things that are happening throughout New York City. Um, you know, it's really beautiful facility that has like ten classrooms and state of the art equipment, and really, it's it's just an an, an enormous. Um, asset for our college, and especially as we move into thinking about what is the future of higher ed, 
And also, how do we assure that we are living up to our, our mission as a college of providing access and equity to higher ed for Staten Island? You know, we are the only institution of public higher ed in the whole borough. And so we have a responsibility to serve the entire community of Staten Island and our location on the North Shore, our ability for students to take classes at that location has the unique opportunity for us to really feel as though we're really fulfilling that mission, especially as it relates to issues related to equity, um, racial equity, social justice, and further inclusion. Yeah, sure. It's so great to hear you, you know, affirm those, those, uh, you know, those themes of accessibility and reach and, and, and equity and how St. George kind of plays into that. Uh, and it's not, you know, it's, it's, it, it's not just classrooms. It's 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 a chance to really, you know, connect those dots. So it's great, so great to, to hear you articulate that. And uh, and now Pitt, right? Uh, public interest technology developed uh, through a grant that's been received by the college. One that I'm assuming was powered with your with your input. W- what is public interest technology? I know you I know you explained it a little bit um, just previously, but what is the program? How does it work? And how did CSI get involved with it? So um, there's a national think tank called New America that's um, funded by a bunch of philanthropic, um, um, you know, resources, sources, but the main one being the Ford Foundation that really did some research as to what is what is most important, like what has the most potential to really impact um, and improve society going forward. And they really wanted to push towards looking at this integration of how we how can we harness the power of tech to improve life for everyone mm-hmm. and how can we also take a critical eye and an important eye looking at the the development of tech and increase the voices let's say of those who often go unheard in terms of increasing the diversity of the tech talent pipeline so we have kind of like two or we have multiple branches but a lot of the branches are one sort of building diversity into the tech talent pipeline two really creating an interdisciplinary field called public interest tech which will you know take a a concerted look at how do we use tech for good like and to advance social justice and three is like really calling into questions of like you know, even though we could build it, should we? Like, you know, trying to Mm -hmm. create some ethical and um, guidelines as to what is responsible use, what is ethical leadership in tech, what, you know, how do these new technologies, what are some unintended consequences, especially for those who are are already vulnerable in society who may not have an adequate seat at the table in design meetings or project management or even access to, high-speed infrastructure that would be needed to when, you know, certain technologies are developed. So we're kind of in that wheelhouse. And so New America developed a public interest tech university network because they thought that the best way to go about field building is to really engage colleges and universities across the country. And so CUNY was one of the first, um, and it was certainly the first public, but one of the first institutions of higher ed to really engage in the network uh, but now we're up to 43 colleges and universities across the country, including the big ones like MIT, Yale, NYU, Princeton, mm-hmm. but also some more publics like us. And um, <clears throat> and and now we're even like we have also, um, you know, concerted and important outreach to HBCUs and um, some rural and community colleges. And 
really trying to create a diverse range of institutions in the network. Um, so CUNY is a part of the network and as part of the network, we were able to apply for funding um, in, uh, to get some support to create programs that advance these goals of the network. And so I wrote a, a proposal um, to create intentional learning communities at the College of Staten Island, St. George. Uh, and it was, this was intended to be a project to really, like I said, like um, take advantage and support the goals of, of, of St. George um, and to really um, build capacity for ways of, of developing uh, clear uh, career paths and trajectories for students that are moving into the 21st and they get this, the 22nd century, right? So mm -hmm. like we're looking way far ahead as to what are tangible career trajectories for students. And so my project or our project is focused on four feeder high schools that we see as feeder high schools into St. George. So Curtis, Port Richmond, McKee and Newdorp high schools. And uh, we recruit first uh, students who are just graduated from those high schools into um, their into, uh, first year into college. And they're fulfilling their um, most of their, uh, they're fulfilling their gen ed requirements in the first two years as part of our program, uh, having taken the majority of those gen ed classes with also a focus on PIT. So, mm. so for instance, in the first semester, they take Art 100, Psych 100, English uh, 111, and Core 100. And, the, and I work together with the professors who are teaching those courses so that we have some common themes or common activities or ways in which we think about technology broadly defined, very specific, um, as it relates to then also meeting the gen ed goals of each of those courses. And so I have my first cohort of students mm -hmm. who now who are about to complete their second year. Um, in addition, we have opportunities for them to learn some tangible uh, tech related skills. And again, I, one thing I should say is that these are this is we're actively recruiting students who would not necessarily be pursuing traditional computer science degrees. Mm -hmm. We're trying to build tech capacity within the humanities and social sciences. So all of these students are on their path towards degree programs for the most part in the humanities and social sciences. Um, because again, we, we see the transformation of these fields to also include it that you know, tech needs humanities, tech needs the social sciences in mm. order to evolve and advance in important ways that are socially responsible and creative. Um, and so, but along the way, the students are learning real world tech skills around user experience, user design, project management, prototype building, um, GIS. Uh, and so we're working closely with the CSI tech incubator um, mm. to create those experiences. And so um, the majority of my students in this program, having completed their second year, will be earning their associate's degree by the end of this semester, mm. which is so exciting. Yeah. And they're going on to pursue degrees in psychology and communications, and some of them are gonna be entering the CUNY-BA program with a major in PIT um, that we're creating. And I have a second cohort of students who are in their first year. And you know, we were doing all this amidst the pandemic. So it's been really exciting to have this opportunity to now see them in person right, finally, right. and to be teaching them um, in person, and we're working with um, right now with the more advanced students that are connecting with community partners. And what's really exciting is, well, a couple exciting things. One is our project has been funded for a third year, but we, but CUNY has also been invited to host the annual convening of all 43 colleges and universities at CUNY 
It's going to be a two-day conference held in October, um, October 28th and 29th. And day one, October 28th, will be held at the CUNY Graduate Center. But day two is going to be called the unconvening, and it's going to be held uh, um, organized by us, CSI, uh, with a, a special nod to CSI St. George because we're um, hosting it at the Snug Harbor Cultural Center and Botanical Gardens. Mm. And I'm co-organizing this with um, Dr. Lara Sagisag from the English department. And um, it's going to be on the, the 10th anniversary of Hurricane Sandy. <clears throat> and so the themes of the day are going to focus on the interplay between climate justice, racial justice, and food justice, and the role that tech can play in advancing um, the goals of, of reducing you know, inequities as it relates to uh, climate the importance of looking at climate and and we're going to create these immersive opportunities for there to be this clear integ integration between the organic and the machine right mm -hmm. so like literally like the earth and machines and mm -hmm. our students are are producing demonstration projects with local um community organizations that will have um ways in which they've built uh tech into representing um, community-based solutions to some of these issues. So <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's really great. Yeah, I was I was going to ask you about you know what what the typical academic portfolio look like, and even some of the social justice initiatives that that this kind of stands behind. And I think I think you covered some of that. You know, I know that you mentioned that there are some some feeder high schools that you do. Uh, do your fair share of, of active recruiting, but you know if you're if, if if I'm a student and I'm listening to this podcast, or even if I'm a if I'm a tech company and I says, wow, you know, some of what what they're doing there is really is really robust and great and it's in on the ground floor, and I want to be a part of it. How do um, students who have an interest become a part of Pitt? How do you know? How do you align yourself maybe with with tech industry leaders uh, to try and engage in the program, and and how do they become a part of the program? So we're, we're starting the process of a char chartering a student club that will be open mm -hmm. to all CSI students. And we're also um, exploring ways in which we can um, provide students, regardless of whether they're officially a part of our intentional lear learning community, with opportunities to learn more about careers in public mm -hmm. interest tech and civic tech, because it is a growing, it's an area of growth for industry. And I'm excited to be working with Jasmine Cardona and the folks at the CSI and Jeff Jeffrey DeRose and the folks at the CSI Tech Incubator right. to really helping to, to cultivate these relationships between um, academia and industry. But we also are taking a unique perspective in that we want to also um, build capacity within community-based organizations for their utilization of tech, right? So we often relegate tech to the tech companies, but we really want there to be ways in which we're building skills and access for local community organizations to understand how they mm. can use important tools to advance their goals and maybe get access to um, support that they need to, you know, better their communities and yeah. things. Good point. Yeah, you know, Katie, you're you're so proud, obviously, of the of the work that Pitt does and and what it will do. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, and this is this is where I need a little guidance. You know, I know that mm -hmm. this is a grant based program. So, you know, is the program itself, you know, a terminal one that's dependent 
on the grant, grant funding or one where we hope this type of program or service to students is something we would like to install in perpetuity at the college? And, and how does that happen? Um, yeah, so I think New America and myself and CUNY more broadly are um, seeing this as um, the, the grant funding as seed money, as gotcha. something that okay. we can then use to seed this program at the college and at CUNY. And in fact, your, our year three funding will establish for us a um, the CUNY pit lab at CSI St. George. So we're built, we're hoping to build like a high tech classroom, high flex classroom-like environment where we can host high quality hybrid events that would be accessible to anybody around the whole world, right? Mm. So we're definitely getting on CUNY's radar in terms of us really taking the lead in how we can do pit at CUNY. Yeah. And so we're, we're, we have an eye towards scalability. We definitely have an eye towards institutionalization. And this is, so I'm working with important partners at the college to see like, how ways in which we can institutionalize this at the college um, and that it feeds into um, new ways of imagining how students um, can see their pathways to particular career paths as they're pursuing important degrees, um, you know, especially in the humanities and social sciences. And so, uh, so this is definitely here to stay. It's not just my pet project. <laughs> it's something that I have as an eye towards helping us as an institution, um, you know, and that 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 I'm working with partners to to be able to sustain what we're working on. Now uh, that's great. Uh, you know, I really love that. I love hearing that 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 this is indeed you know the 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 seed. Uh, and that this is here to stay because it, it really sounds so fascinating and learning about it from you is, has been, you know, uh, just tremendous. And, uh, you know, I know the pit has been a big part of your day to day and, and, and a passion project for you and others. What, what are some other things that you're excited about, Katie, as part, as part of, you know, psychology, the, you know, gender studies work, your work with, you know, clinical mental health counseling program, the doctoral education program, and of course, St. George. What are some other initiatives and projects you're working on and are excited about? David, are you trying to say that I'm not doing enough at the time? I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, you know, I, you know, I, I feel so lucky that I've had these opportunities at the College of Staten Island, you know, to be a part of, of public higher ed on Staten Island, but also to be a part of the larger CUNY community. Um, you know, again, for me, uh, really promoting access and equity in, in higher ed is really critically important to me. And I'm really proud of my colleagues in psychology, in women, gender, and sexuality studies, in our master's program in, in clinical mental health counseling, and now in our brand new EDD program in community-based leadership at St. George, and that we really take seriously ways in which what we're doing on the campus can connect to important opportunities for people to, um, you know, give back to the communities that they live in, right? And again, we've been very, a little bit Staten Island focused, but we, I know we serve many students from Brooklyn and other boroughs and, um, you know, you know, and especially like in the work that I've done with the master's in, in uh, as being a core faculty member in the master's in clinical mental health counseling program, you know, to see now students you know, that we've graduated from our program, 
be leaders in the field of mental health and, you know, jump to um, be very extremely responsive when our communities are in crises as it relates to natural disasters or man-made disasters or, you know, just crises in the community. It's just been incredible. And the EDD program and community-based leadership, you know, I, I get to advise students and work with students in that program as well. And, you know, I just feel so proud that I, I get to be a part of helping to shape, um, uh, you know, people who are geared towards making transformational and imp impactful changes in our society to help the world be a better, safer, more healed place. And, you know, I think, you know, with everything that's going on locally and in the world, um, you know, we need the helpers, we need the mm -hmm. healers. And, and um, I just feel very honored to be able to serve in this way. Excellent. Excellent. And, you know, last one for me, Katie, because I know I did, you know, rattle off all the things that, that make you busy and you are incredibly busy when there is downtime, when there is downtime, there's a big asterisk there. What, uh, what, what does that look like for you? What are some of your, some of your other hobbies, your passions that you do like to participate in when it's, when it's not all work? Well, my wife, Robin Garber, who is a CSI alum, and most of my kids are CSI alums also, <laughs> um, we, we live on the North Shore, we live in West Brighton, um, we live in a beautiful um, old Victorian home, and now we have a bunch of little grandkids running around <laughs> with us, and so a lot of my downtime is spent, again, you know, really being able to engage with, like, the next generation of people, you know, that's going to hopefully make change and, and make this world a better place. So that's like very, very exciting um, to me. Um, I'm an avid knitter. So I try to knit a little <laughs> bit on my downtime, but I'm also um, trying to learn some skills that I didn't get in grad school. So mm -hmm. I'm also learning how to do GIS. I'm, um, I've got, I'm, you know, learning stuff about user experience and, you know, and, and, and I'm excited about really learning new skills so that I can adapt what I teach in the classroom and what I'm promoting with my students. Um, and that I, I'm, you know, gaining that skill set. So I like learning alongside my students as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, so. <laughs> That's so awesome. Yeah, that's a good answer. Very, very, very good, Katie. And, you know, I want to thank you so much for this conversation. I, you know, I think I speak for all of our listeners when I classify you as a, you know, a, a superstar on our campus. You know, I love these podcasts mm -hmm. because it, it really shows, you know, what tremendous people we have on our campus. And we're so much more than just three letters and 200 acres, you know. And, uh, you know, and I, I sure do hope we can do this again sometime, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, on this podcast or off, I, I truly thank you for lending so much insight into some of the things that you do, some of these, uh, you know, projects that you're that you're tied to and involved in. It's seriously making CSI a better place. So, you know, I thank you. Well, thank you. And I thank you for, um, you know, really reaching out to me mm -hmm. and for wanting to know more about what we do. We have so many people that are so passionate and committed to mm -hmm. to the success of, of our college and to really, you know, giving of themselves to our students. And so if we can make sure that we highlight that work, as well as, of course, you know, the amazing scholars that, I mean, there's not, it's not an either or. Right. Like I consider myself to be like a really good scholar that also has a great 
commitment to our, our mission and our goals of serving our students. And so, um, but, you know, I want to honor that we have people at all different, you know, aspects of our campus, our committed staff, our, you know, our, our, our faculty, our part-time faculty, the people who run our centers, like, you know, we have so many amazing people on our campus. And so I really appreciate you, you taking the time to make sure that, um, that we all learn more about what the great things that are being done at the college. So thank you. You're, you're very welcome. And thank you for saying that. Uh, that is uh, Katie Kamiski, who, who joins us today, uh, part of so many valuable and interesting projects at the College of Staten Island. Katie, thanks again. Thanks, Katie. Another great conversation for you right here on CSI Today Talks. We're very thankful for the Reverend Dr. Katie Kamiski joining us on this week's episode. And we remind you that we return next week. Co-host Terry Mayers will have Anita Romano from the Macaulay Honors College talking a lot more about their program as well. Uh, Part of our exciting month here in March. Uh, right here on CSI Today Talks. From all of us here, we remind you again, please subscribe at csitoday.com and from wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. I'm David Pizzuto, wishing you a great rest of the week from all of us here at CSI Today Talks. Thank you for listening to this edition of the CSI Today Talks podcast. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast to get alerted for brand new episodes and to listen on demand to your favorites. Be sure to check us out at www.csitoday.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.